Let us now go and uh, read our first scripture reading, Ezekiel 36, 22 through 32. Now, uh, I am reading from the New King James, so I'm sorry I don't have the scripture ready for, uh, for the ESV in the pews, but it is Ezekiel 36, 22 through 32. Here is the word of the Lord. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, I do not do this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the nations wherever you went. And I will sanctify my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. And the nations shall know that I am the Lord, says the Lord God, when I am hallowed, hallowed in you before their names. For I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of all countries, and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments and do them. Then you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers shall be my people, and I will be your God. I will deliver you from all your uncleanness. I will call for the grain and multiply it and bring no famine upon you, and I will multiply the fruit of your trees and the increase of your fields, so that you need never again bear the reproach of famine among the nations. Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good, and you will loathe yourselves in your own sight for your iniquities and your abominations. Not for your sake do I do this, says the Lord God. Let it be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your own ways, O house of Israel. Second scripture reading of the day, Hebrews 10, verses 1 through 18, and that is in the Pew Bibles on page 1006. So, Hebrews is the commentary on the verses I will be preaching on today. So here we have Hebrews 10, 1 through 18. For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never, with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. For then would they have not have ceased to be offered? For the worshippers once purified would have no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the volume of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. Previously saying, Sacrifice and offering. Burnt offerings and offerings for sin you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first, that he may establish the second. By that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly 
the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, forever sat down at the right hand of God. From that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us. For after he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds I will write them. Then he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. All right. Now we turn to Jeremiah 31. 31 through 34. This will be the passage uh, that the sermon addresses today. This is the passage on, on the new covenant. So, Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. Thank you, Father, for your word. May it grow deep roots in our hearts and our souls, Lord, that it would be a blessing to us, that we would bless others through it, and glorify your good name. Amen. So, just a brief background on on what's going on in Judah at this time. Just the briefest of backgrounds and context. Uh, uh, This is during the time probably of the dispersion of the Jews from from Jerusalem. We're not positive of that. Regardless, it's a time of turmoil uh, where they know that the Babylonians are coming coming against them. And uh, yet, in the midst of this turmoil, much like... uh, today and and many other days they don't seem to think the issue is theirs just uh, a couple of verses before verse 31 we hear uh, of this proverb that they had developed the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge in other words they were saying our forefathers have sinned why are we paying for this sin it's their fault it's not ours and that's the, when the Lord breaks it and says, But everyone shall die for his own iniquity. Every man who eats the sour grapes, his teeth shall be set on edge. No, you, you die for your own sins. This is, and, the, and the people were, were thinking that, No, no, this is, this is for somebody else. We're, we've been all right. We've been faithful. We've been good. And God tells them that, No, we die for our own sins. You are not dying for the sins of your fathers, for the sins of Manasseh, the wicked king who sacrificed his children, to Molech. No, this is your your issue. And then he breaks in with the great words of the 
promise of the new covenant. This is the only place in the Old Testament where the actual words new covenant are used. We see uh, in Ezekiel, as we read earlier, and, and there's other scriptures which, which are strongly allude to this new covenant, but this is the only place where it is explicit. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. This covenant is going to be with God's people. That only makes sense. This is going to be with his people, uh, Israel and, and Judah. Israel had been dispersed in 722 and pretty much utterly destroyed as a people because they had been forced into intermarriage with the surrounding cultures that they'd been sent off into and, and those that remained uh, were forced to marry into other cultures that the Assyrians had sent into the northern kingdom to pollute them and, and to basically destroy uh, their culture and that was very effective. So they were kind of a mongrel race. And when you read in the New Testament, you, you, you learn that these Samaritans were, were in no way loved by the, by the Jews of Judah. Now they were despised and yet we're told that the Lord is going to bring back Israel. He's going to bring back Judah from their dispersion. And the idea, it seems to me, of, of Israel coming back it gives us a universal appeal because they had been intermarrying with the nations, so they're coming back and they are not strict Jews at this point. So we have this picture that God is starting a new covenant with, with all peoples, Jews and Gentiles. And even more we know from what we read in, in Galatians that, uh, that who are the children of Abraham? They are those who trust in the Lord by faith. We read in, in Galatians 3, 1 through 9, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you, that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified, this only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, you are now being made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain. Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. Those who trust in the Lord are part of the new covenant. As we read uh, Paul write later in Galatians concerning there's neither Jew nor Greek, uh, black or white, male or female. And uh, this new covenant is really it's new in many great ways in that it basically perfects the covenant that God gave to Adam, to Noah, to Abraham. Believers are of the family of Abraham, brothers and sisters, that's believers from every nation, tribe, 
and tongue. And this new covenant, even though it is a continuation in many ways of the things God had laid down before, especially through Abraham, it is unlike the old covenant. Verse 32 of Jeremiah 31 says, Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers of the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke. Oh, I was a husband to them, says the Lord. Remember when the Lord led his people out of Egypt, how he destroyed Pharaoh with, with, with ten plagues, and then finally the plague of the firstborn. And then they had the Passover, which we talked about in Sunday school where the blood of the lamb, an unblemished lamb was put above the door and if you had that blood above your door, uh, the angel of death passed over and you were saved. God was a good father to these people in the wilderness as he brought them out. He redeemed them from the wickedness of, of Egypt, the the power of Satan. He took them out and he was a good husband watching over them day and night. He was a pillar of cloud by day and he was a pillar of fire by night. He had them build an ark in which he was to dwell in that ark and he had a tabernacle that he had them to build which the ark would be placed in as they went from place to place. He was with them. This is the promise from the very beginning of Scripture, God is always telling Abraham and, and others, I will be with you. Isaiah chapter 9, the Emmanuel is God with us. God always promises to be with His people and He was with His people as a godly husband. He provided food and water for them every day, every night. They got showered with manna in the morning and they got meat at night. God brought water out of the rocks when necessary. He gave them all they needed. He continued to bless them even after all their rebellion. And there was so much rebellion. Just time after time after time. It just reminds me of me. But he was a faithful and good husband. Yet, it was them, it was the Hebrews that broke the covenant. They turned from their faithful husband. There was a whole book written about how uh, how the people of Israel were to God. The book of Hosea is all about that, where God had Hosea marry a prostitute to demonstrate the unfaithfulness of the people of Israel to God. And Hosea was supposed to stand by his unfaithful bride, just as God has always stood by his unfaithful. Yet they broke the covenant so that we needed a new covenant, a better covenant. I mean, within a month of their deliverance from Egypt, it might have even been within weeks, they were crying about how it was so much better in Egypt. They had so much food and drink and everything was great. They were making stories up. They wanted to go back. Yet God stayed with them. They made a golden calf when Moses was, was on the mountain getting the Ten Commandments. And God certainly disciplined thousands of them at that point, uh, getting rid of the sin in the camp as best 
as he could. Yet he was still faithful to them. They didn't believe God concerning Canaan and going into the promised land. They were bringing back bundles of grapes which had to have two people carry them. They saw that God was true, that he had told them it was a land flowing with milk and honey, yet they said, we can't do it. And yet God still stood by their children and the two faithful tribes and stood by them as he made the others perish in the wilderness over 40 years. And this pattern continued until God finally said, that is enough. And the Babylonians came down and destroyed the temple and cast them all over. He took many of them to, the, the Babylonians took many of the, of the rich and influential folks in the Babylon with them to try and influence their culture like that. And many still stayed in, in Judah, but the land was a wasteland. God had dispersed them for their sin, their unfaithfulness, and, and he decreed it be 70 years because that's how many land Sabbaths they had abused. 490 years and they never observed the land Sabbath to let the land rest every seven years. So that's how long they got dispersed until the Lord would bring them back into the land. So this was not God's fault. The fact that they needed a new covenant was not in any part due to anything wrong. God did. We know that. So, what is this new covenant then? This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. This covenant doesn't rely on the external. It does not have as its premise the idea that you have uh, the law written in tablets of stone. And in fact, if you read the uh, preamble to the Ten Commandments, uh, you see that, that, that God, even in this covenant, based everything on redemption. I am the Lord your God who led you out of the land of Egypt, the land of bondage. Therefore, you shall have no gods before me. There is continuity even in the idea of redemption in the Mosaic Covenant. Yet, we do know that the external forms were shadows of the things to come as Paul wrote in Hebrews. And this covenant is going to be eternal. Well, it's going to be eternal too. I'm jumping ahead. It's going to be internal as we read in verse 33. It will be written on their minds and their hearts which in the Old Testament they didn't really distinguish between mind and heart like we do. That just means it's, it's going to be in their soul. This, these words of stone in the Old Testament are going to be engraved in our, in our souls. And how is this going to happen? Well, we read uh, in Ezekiel earlier, and I'll just read a couple of uh, pertinent verses here that helps explain what's going on here. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from your filthiness." 
And from all your idols, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will keep my judgments and you will do them. They will know God's word. This is an internal internal covenant because God the Holy Spirit is rebirthing us, is taking our stony heart and giving us a heart of flesh. This covenant is not about what we can do. This covenant is about Christ, the Holy Spirit, God the Father, the Holy Trinity, turning us from sin, from death, to life. And this law isn't going away. The law's not bad. It's so good it's being engraved in our hearts. And while we know that there's nothing we can do to impress God, we cannot fulfill the law. That's what Christ's job was. Yet the law is a reflection of Christ and His goodness and holiness. And that law instructs us through the power of the Holy Spirit to live a life pleasing to God. So they will know God's Word. They will not even have need for one neighbor, one brother to be teaching the other. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. The power of the Holy Spirit working with the Word of God instructs us. I remember years ago before I was a Christian and, and thinking that I I want to read the Bible just just for kicks and giggles. I, I like to read different stuff. And I thought, I need to read the Bible. I need to know what this is about. And I got through five chapters and that was it. Got through the first five chapters of Genesis. It made no sense to me. I hung it up. Put it away. A few years later, the Lord saves me and I start reading the Bible and oh yeah, that starts making some sense. Now this in no way means that we do not have uh, teachers and, and pastors. We have whole sections of the New Testament written about what, what qualifies a man to be a pastor, what qualifies someone to teach. We know that's not the case. So what is, what's he talking about here? He's talking about the types and shadows the priests and the prophets. In this covenant, we no longer need a priest to take our sin offerings. We no longer need a prophet to tell us that there's a new word from the Lord, there's new revelation. Revelation and human mediation are abolished in this new covenant. We don't need them anymore. We have a better mediator Jesus Christ we have the word of the Lord so if you ever stumble into a church where someone says they have new revelation or they're going to intercede to the father for you just uh, you just turn around and walk away that's yeah there's no new revelation we don't need anybody to intercede for us we don't need a daily mass Sacrificing Christ day after day after day. Christ's sacrifice was good. 
one time for all time. And we are told that God is, is going to be their God. There will be no partiality, rich or poor. It doesn't matter. God is impartial to his people. And even more, how is God going to be with this people in this new covenant? As Ezekiel spoke of in chapter 36. He's going to turn our stony heart to a heart of flesh and we're going to get the the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. How amazing is that compared to, to the way the Holy Spirit worked in the Old Testament? He sure worked. He worked from the beginning of the of the Bible in Genesis chapter 1 through the whole Old Testament, but it was a whole different dynamic. And in the New Covenant, the Holy Spirit is directly working in His people. That's the only way we can please the Lord. We cannot keep the law and save ourselves. We need the New Covenant reality. We need the Holy Spirit working in us to make us alive, to rebirth us, to gift us the faith and repentance so that we can trust in the Lord and apprehend Him by, by faith and to grow in Him. We will walk on the, in the Spirit, not fulfilling the desires of the flesh, we're told in Galatians, and, and we're going to be led by the Spirit in this new covenant. And furthermore, the Lord says, they will be my people. There will be no need for, for priests and prophets as, as we've spoken about. The Lord Jesus fulfills all that. Every believer will be empowered to understand God by himself. Yet, there's no such thing as, 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 a, as a lone ranger Christian who just does his own thing and says, I have the Bible and the Holy Spirit. I don't need the congregation of faith. I don't need to fellowship with the believers. But pastors and teachers in this day, in this new covenant, are not there to impart new revelation, nor to intercede for your forgiveness. They are there to help you understand the sense of the Word of God as Ezra did to the people in, in the Old Testament. He preached teaching them the sense of what was being read in the law. And that's, that's what the faithful pastor does today. Is helps people understand that. And we all, we all help each other. I know certainly I, I have so much to learn and, and other believers I, I, I hope I'm not so convoluted and and that, that I don't think I need other believers who are filled with the Holy Spirit, who have been enlightened to the Word of God through the work of the Spirit. We desperately need that, each and every one of us. And that's what, part of what this fellowship is about, whether it's on Sundays or whether it's any day of the week when we get together and, and speak about God and His Word. So, we come to the last part of this section of scripture in Jeremiah I will forgive their iniquity and their sin 
I will remember no more. This is phenomenal. And this leads into the eternal aspect of this covenant. It is, it is internal. We have the power of the Holy Spirit working in us. The, the law of God written on our hearts, written engraved into our souls. And it is eternal because our sins will be remembered no more. We don't have to go every October, whenever it is, to the Day of Atonement and have that priest give us a temporary covering for our sins. We have had Jesus Christ enter into the Holy of Holies, the perfect sacrifice, the perfect Lamb of God, and if we are in Him, the angel of death passes over us in the New Covenant as Christ fulfilled the Old. What did Jesus say? At the institution of the Lord's Supper, likewise, He took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the New Covenant in My blood, which is shed for you. He's speaking directly to this passage in Jeremiah more than likely. He is inaugurating the new covenant with his disciples, which he will ratify, as R.C. Sproul talked about, the next day on the cross through the blood of his redemption. We trust in Christ. If we are in Christ, He remembers our sin no more. As I said, Lord's Day uh, 21, question 56. We come back to that. It says, What do you believe concerning the forgiveness of sins? That God, for the sake of Christ's satisfaction, will no more remember my sins, nor the sinful nature with which I have to struggle all my life long, but graciously imputes to me the righteousness of Christ, that I may never more come into condemnation. What a great comfort those words are based upon the truth of God. And if you read below that, you will see what is one of the scriptures they allude to. Jeremiah 31, 34. This new covenant gives us life eternally. Before Adam in the garden was placed life and death, eat of the tree of life and live. Eat from the other tree, and you shall surely die. And in Adam we all die. Yet Christ has come. He has eaten of the tree of life and turned us from from sin to death. From sin to life, sorry. From sin and death to life. If, If we are covered in His blood, we don't have to worry about that anymore. The shadows are gone. The temple, the tabernacle, the priest, and all the sacrifices, those, those are abolished in Christ. And we have Christ's righteousness set before the Father when He looks at us. That's what He sees as it's been imputed to us. We have the Holy Spirit working in us. We have the Word of the Father to direct us. And we have the fellowship of the saints. Every Sunday, we get together and we enter into the Holy of Holies with the Lord as we sing and pray and, and, and read and, and listen to the words. And we have the ministry of reconciliation where we bless one another as new covenant believers and forgiving one another and growing in grace. And, and even more, we have Christ sitting at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. 
We don't need to go through a priest make any sacrifices. We go straight to God through Christ. So, to wrap this up, um, let us look at, uh, at Hebrews 10, if you happen to be there. 19 through 25. We'd read verse 18 earlier. I'll just read that really quickly. Now, where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. Verse 19, Hebrews 10. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another so much the more as you see the day approaching. So what is our application for this new covenant? What Jeremiah is speaking about? This is the the great commentary on Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34 and Hebrews 8 through 10 is just uh, repeats it over and over and over again. And and what we read here is the first thing we need to do is draw near to Christ. We can boldly enter the throne of grace directly to Jesus Christ. Confess our sins. Pray for healing. Pray for reconciliation with brothers. Pray for, uh, for any number of things. We can go directly to Christ. And we are to dwell on His Word, on the, on the good confession that He talks about here, the Word of God. This is what we do. It's engraved in our hearts and yet still we can, we can look at it and read it and, and memorize it and know it. And we are to not forget to stir up good works and love amongst the brethren, ministering to one another, helping each other in our time of need. Faith has legs. We've got to exercise those. And we have to go to church. We cannot forsake the fellowship of believers. This is just of monumental importance. We have to be in with the, with the saints of God. I know sometimes people are sick and then there are folks who are infirm and can't make it, but brothers and sisters, we are called as, as a holy people and we need to come together and worship with one another bless one another and, and glorify the Lord and be blessed by Him. And, and then we need, to, we need to keep our eyes on the heavens. The Lord is coming. It tells us that so much more do these things as you see the day approaching when Christ is coming back. He's going to set everything right as it should be. So let us remember, brothers and sisters, that God has given us a new covenant. in our hearts, in our souls, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. We thank you, Father, for every blessing that you've given us. You are amazing. And it's uh, hard to believe how <clears throat> how we can uh, be saved and, and 
and have eternal life right now and, and forever. And we're just grateful for all you've done for, for us through Christ and the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray this in your Son's precious and holy name. Amen.